The Low Post is presented by Amazon Music. Did you know you could be listening to this episode of The Low Post ad-free on Amazon Music? And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast. The NBA Finals are over. The Denver Nuggets of Denver. The Nuggets are NBA champions. Champions of the world. World's champions. Just champions. The Miami Heat, after an incredible playoff run, I think they finished 13 and 10 in the playoffs, two and seven in their last nine games, but they gave it a hell of a run, a delightful time all through May and June. And now it's offseason time. The world rumors are swirling. The smoke screens have been sent in every direction to help us navigate the draft part of it, the free agency part of it, a dynamic duo like no other. Jonathan Gavoni, how are you? I'm doing great, Zach. How are you? Bobby Marks. What's Hello, up, gentlemen? Buddy? What's going on? From sunny Florida. Is it sunny in Florida? It's We've gotten the humidity has finally taken over the southwest part of Florida. We are in humid season. But I'll be in Bristol, so get, you know, I only come, I only come when it's above 80 degrees, so make sure. Bristol, we're, we're Connecticut, you. a top 8,000 most exciting town in America, according to Bristol Magazine. Uh <laughs> Okay, before we move on to all the buzz that's going on, I just want to take a moment because this is, I, I don't like how fast we move. I just, it's just, it's just me. I'm a purist in this sense. The finals and the championship is the whole reason we do this. All this buzz that we're about to get into, it's all to get where the Denver Nuggets just got for the first time in the history of their franchise. It's all now to try to compete with the Nuggets team that looks set up to be really, really good for quite a while, as long as Jokic and Murray are healthy. And Denver fans, I, I will, knock on wood, should have a very special Denver guest on early next week. They just wanted to get through the parade first. The parade, I think, is starting shortly in Denver. Uh, but before we move on, I do, I do want to say, I just want to read the, some Jokic stuff. In this past playoff run... 20, 20 games, Jokic averaged 30 points, 13 and a half rebounds, nine and a half assists. So very close to a 30 point triple double every single game shot 55% from the floor, 46% on threes, 57% on twos, 80% on seven free throws a game. So 50, 40, 80 shooting. Basically, if you round up from 79.9 for his career, in the playoffs, can he get it done in the playoffs? What has he ever accomplished in the playoffs outside of making the conference finals? For his career, 27.5 points, 12 rebounds, 7.5 assists on 53% shooting, 41% from three. That's his career stats in the playoffs. 68 playoff games. Here are some other interesting figures. 27.5 points per game in the playoffs is now ninth all-time among every person who has played in the playoffs, minimum some amount of games, exactly almost one point behind LeBron James. The names above Jokic, the eight names who had averaged more points per game in the playoffs, Michael Jordan, Luka Doncic, Allen Iverson, Kevin Durant, Jerry West, LeBron James, Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell. That's it. Rebounding. He's 17th all-time in rebounds per game in the playoffs. All the names above him except Charles Barkley are old-timers. 
Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain. Bill Russell's career rebounds per game. Take a shot. Bobby, you go first, alphabetical oh. order. What do you think Bill Russell's career rebounds per game in the playoffs is? 21.5. Gavoni? 23. Just even? Gavoni wins. 24.9 rebounds per game. Will <laughs> Chamberlain, Wes Unsell, Bob Pettit, Walt Bellamy, Mel Daniels, Dave Cowens, Moses Malone, not quite an old timer, George Mikan, Nate Thurman, Elvin Ace, Elgin Baylor, Charles Barkley, Artis Gilmore, Walter Dukes, Dolph Shays, and Jokic. Assists, he's 19th all time. A couple of guys above him on the list have not played very much in the playoffs. Numbers three and four all-time assists per game in the playoffs are John Wall and Trey Young. I mean, so he's top 20 in the playoffs in scoring, rebounding, and assists. And for as much as we hear about how selfless he is, and he is, he's highest rated in scoring among all three of those categories, 27 and a half per game in the playoffs. Player efficiency rating for those who care, and I understand some people don't. Bobby, where do you think Nikola Jokic ranks in play- oh. player efficiency rating for all time in the playoffs? Man, I don't know. I have a PR higher than 30? Uh, he does, does he not. Rank? His PR is 29.02 in the playoffs. Right at it. Yeah. That Woo! ranks that ranks one, number one in the history of basketball over Michael Jordan. Okay, so, you know, look, that's not everyone's cup of tea. Win shares per 48 minutes in the playoffs. Another advanced stat that some people like, some people don't. Number one, Michael Jordan. Number two, George Mikan. Number three, LeBron James. And in a virtual tie with LeBron James, Nikola Jokic. I just want to put it in perspective. This is the greatness that this guy is and that we are seeing. And so then I put it to you guys, a question we had on NBA Today before game five in Denver. Um, Nicole Jokic is 28 years old. I just read you the stats. Gavoni, I'll give you first crack. The question posed to us, and it's one of these sort of silly TV questions, but it's fun. It makes you think. For the next five years, you own an NBA franchise. For the next five years, and obviously the question does not tell you whether your franchise is currently good or currently bad, currently old, currently young, whatever. You own a franchise. You have your choice. You can have Nikola Jokic, for the next five years, or you can have any other player in the field for five years. Jonathan Gavoni, what is your answer to that question? We all had to answer it on TV. Now I'm making you guys do it. I'm taking Jokic because he's 28 years old, but he's only been playing basketball seriously for 10 years now. And we see the way that he's improving year after year, uh, you know, averaging 10 assists a game this year, shooting 41% for three I don't think that we've seen the best of Nikola Jokic yet. And so um, I'm taking him because I just feel that like his game is not based on his athleticism and uh, you know, he never gets hurt. So, I mean, I think he's going to still be, I'm knocking on the wood. I don't want anyone to get hurt. I get nervous when the, when you, when people, but he does seem impervious to injuries, not jumping. I think barely jumping, I think helps for sure. And now that he's become this like, you know, 40 plus percent three point shooter who, you know, is basically the best passer in the NBA. I mean, like you can run your whole offense for him. He's basically unguardable. We saw that. And then the defense much improved, you know, like when I first started watching him, couldn't guard a chair, couldn't guard a chair in the NBA. It's why it was, you know, he 
first year he, he he didn't play as much as he probably should have. Uh, but uh, yeah, so he's getting better and better. And so I don't see any reason why he's not going to be like an incredibly dominant guy still when he's 31, 32, 33. He's the best player in the NBA right now. If he can keep, you know, adding to his game, I definitely take Jokic all day. Mr. Marks. The same with me. I, I mean, I just look at it. Um, a, if I'm building a team, I can just plug in guys around him. Um, and B, that, you know, there's so many good things that he does that he's not pigeonholed out one thing, right? Um, whether it be playing point forward, whether initiating the offense, playing through him, I just, I would, I would take him because I can put, you know, I can put, you know, certain players around him and they all don't have to be high level caliber players here. Plug and play guys. I also, I thought hard about it as I tend to do, and I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment, but I also took Jokic over the field for all the reasons that you guys just said, most notably his age and his, and his continued curve that he's still is just like it's not even a curve it's a diagonal straight line go ahead what about the fact that there's absolutely zero bullshit around him you know like you don't have to worry about him coming in your office saying i don't really like the city anymore i want to get out of here you know that's i talked to my friends in the nba that's what they say that's what keeps them up at night and that's you know they say at any moment my entire life could come crumbling down because our best player wakes up on the wrong side of the bed comes into our office and say, trade me or else, you know? So you don't have that concern with Jokic where you do have that concern with some of these other guys that might be some of the candidates to, to, to be picked, you know, like in for the next five years. And that's a huge advantage, you know, like just the way that he sets the culture, the way the teammates gravitate to him. Um, you know, he just looks like such a fun, awesome guy to be around. And that, you, you know, you can't discount that part also. Well, as the 2019 draft class has taught us, there are other things your best players could do that would keep you up at night and have your whole life sort of unraveling a little bit. By the way, are we gonna get are we gonna get the Friday news dump on John Morant tomorrow? Like, I, I have I have not been asking the league office like when is it coming? When is it coming? I because I a I don't care about breaking it, and b it, when it comes, it comes. It just felt like it was going to come soon. And Adam said Adam Silver said, you know, I just don't want to announce it during the finals out of respect for the Nuggets and the Heat while well, the finals are over. I just, I'm smelling like a 4.55 p.m. email from Mike Bass as everyone is like heading out. and like, oh, oh, there it is. I'm just, it's, I'm smelling it. It's in the air. Well, because I think next week it would take away from the draft week, right? Like, so if it's, it has, if it's Friday, it's like 3.30, you know, 12.30. Right after the parade. <laughs> Let me get to the parade, Zach. 5.02 p.m. Friday. Ding. Okay. Um, so the only three players I really seriously thought about in the field are Giannis, self-explanatory, Luka, self-explanatory, and, and four years younger than Jokic, and Wembenyama. I mean, that's like, I think he has to be in the conversation. And I got pushback from Perk and RJ saying, well, he hasn't played a game in the NBA. We don't know how he is. I'm just saying, five years. If he's, if there's a subset of NBA executives and coaches who think he's walking in the door and has a chance to be an all-star. Not a fake like the fans vote him in all-star or a K-pop band votes him in all-star. Like a real actual all-star. Then he's got to be in the discussion. He just has to be. He's 18, 19 years old, whatever he is. Um, 
Uh, you could make an argument, I guess, for Tatum. Devin Booker got some love. Those were only the, really the, the three. And the way I would describe Jokic is this, and then we'll move on, I promise. He's the best passer in the NBA. He's the best low post scorer in the NBA. So right away, I don't think that combination of things has ever been seen before. He's an elite mid-range scorer off the catch and off the dribble. He is a very good three-point shooter. If you uh, switch, you're dead. If you run him off the arc, he's an incredible pump and drive, make the next pass guy. If you send a third defender flying into his vision, he's going to make the right pass every time. That's like 10, 12 discrete offensive skills I just named. Um, And he's not just good at each of them. He's great at each of them. And basketball has never seen a player who is great. And remember, this all starts from being the best passer in the NBA. Not just a good passer. Not just like, yeah, you get four or five assists. Like, the best. Basketball has never seen a guy who's great at every one of those discrete skills and also seven feet tall or 6'11 and, gig- and huge and strong. It just never happened before. So I think, I think he can continue to get better. And so I, I took Jokic and... Congratulations to the Denver Nuggets. It might have been the wildest post-championship locker room I've ever been in. I mean, they were going bananas. Everybody was offering me drinks, and I said, come on, guys, I can't drink with you. I'm not on the team, and I'm in public until, and it's always the Australians. It's always from Aaron Baines to Jack White. (laughs) Jack White saw me in the locker room, and he just walked by me with a bottle of champagne and said, I'm not going to try and do an Australian accent, said, if you're in this locker room, you have to drink this now and I'm like I'm not gonna fight with Jack White it's a and so there was no one around I took a swig and moved on the amount of cigar smoke in the air was definitely a health risk and it was just a delightful Mm -hmm. see and Michael Malone I saw he's wearing his uh stick that in your pipe and smoke it t-shirt he's still making cracks about the Lakers Michael Malone is doing the championship right enough politeness enough like faux humility this is fun times, so congratulations to the Denver Nuggets. Either of you have any parting thoughts on the Nuggets or the finals or anything of that nature? I, I just thought that at the end of the day, the Murray injury in, in 2021 almost bought them time because we would be talking about this team if they had lost, if they were completely healthy, right? If after the Gordon trade and Murray was healthy and Porter Journey didn't have any setbacks, and let's say they lose in the first round, they lose in the second round, we would be talking that coming, oh, we're gonna have to break them up. They, you know, they can't play together. You know, what happens with Jokic? You know, all these different things where it almost like I don't want to say we gave him a pass, but it it just bought them time until Murray came back healthy because. They basically what they got Terry Stotts fired that one year in Portland after they beat them in the first round and then lost to Phoenix. Um, and then last year they lose to Golden State in the first round. And we all just kept saying, like, well, when Murray comes back, they'll be, a, you know, I think they'll this that's going to be their window here. And I think I think that year and a half just kind of, you know, I thought I thought it just bought them time um, for this roster. Um. The other, I, I'm glad we continue this because that one th- point I wanted to make is immediately they win. And even before they won, when they were up 3-1, the next set of articles and TV segments is, are the Nuggets going to be a dynasty? And I just, we can't just live in a normal world. We have to go from one extreme, which is like everyone, like pull panels picking the Lakers over the Nuggets, to now is this an unbeatable dynasty? And I understand the sentiment. 
And this team is entering, will enter the, the league next year, barring craziness and free agency, the favorites to win the title. They could be the favorites to win the title going into the next four seasons. Like their window is that wide open. I just, when people start doing the dynasty thing, A, I don't know what it means. And B, I just think it undersells how hard it is to win one championship. The Spurs never repeated, ever, famously. They won five in 15 years. In an alternate universe where the cap spike doesn't happen, like, there's a chance the Warriors have one or maybe two titles in seven or eight years. I actually think they probably get more than that, but, like, it's just... People go right like, oh, are they going to four-peat? It's just really, really hard to win one. And if this is the only one they get with Jokic, that doesn't, that's not going to mean the era is necessarily a disappointment. If they don't get another one until 2027, that's totally reasonable. Um, in terms of, you know, you mentioned the Warriors, and I, I'm done talking about the road to the championship and, you know, the play-in teams they face and all that. I thought it was actually a pretty, a pretty solid road all the way around. If you're talking about teams that they were quote unquote fortunate not to see, I think in the West, it's really only the Warriors just because of Curry and the way he stresses out Jokic. But I think they win that series anyway. Um, No one else in the West that they didn't face is like, oh my God, they avoided the Clippers who are never healthy and their guys never play. Oh boy. I'm sure they were scared of the Clippers who they beat the hell out of every time they play. Uh, And in the East, it's Milwaukee. Well, you know, Giannis got hurt and then they fell on their faces and Boston, I had a conversation with a front office guy yesterday who said, oh, I, I still think Boston is the best team. Boston's the best team. Boston's got the best roster. If they could only just get their together in crunch time, they'll be the best team next year too. And I'm like, well, at what point does like, this is just what Boston is. This this whole like, they make it so hard on themselves. Um, they, they have trouble closing games. Like maybe Tatum and Brown grow out of that. They're still young. But for now, that's not... Um, that's a feature, not a bug of the Boston Celtics. That's just who they are. We have a lot of evidence that that's just who they are. So anyway, that's my nugget stick. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay, full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Givoni, now we turn to your time of the year. The mock draft. 
Starting at the top, congratulations to Andrew Sharp for the tweet of the year, my friend Andrew Sharp, who upon uh, the reports from Woj yesterday that the Wizards and Bradley Beal are working on potential trades, which we will get to, tweeted earnestly, so earnestly that he actually fooled some well-meaning people that I know something to the effect of, I know the Spurs love Wemby, but when a name like Bradley Beal becomes available, you'd have to think Pop at least thinks about moving the number one pick. And there were some people who were like, are you serious? This is ridiculous. No, he's not serious. He's a Wizards fan having fun. So I think we can skip the number one pick, Gavoni. Um, the drama starts there. And boy, is there a lot of drama at the top. The drama starts with Charlotte at number two and then Portland at number three uh, with Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson being the names there. Um, tell me the latest intel from Charlotte because I know you've got some. So both... Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller worked out this week in Charlotte and um, Scoot Henderson definitely was the better of the two. I was told in terms of um, the conditioning level uh, in terms of, you know, just the explosiveness and, you know, I mean, Scoot Henderson in many ways is built for a one-on-zero workout. I mean, when you see him, like he's, he's not tall, but he's jacked. And he's so explosive with the way that he changes gears and he just punishes the rim every time. And he's a very good mid-range shooter. I mean, people, a lot of people criticize Scoot for his, his lack of perimeter shooting and all that. True, he was not a great three-point shooter this year. He shot 32, 33% in the G League. But um, he's got a good mid-range game, you know? And, uh, and so I think, I don't know that that moves the needle entirely for Charlotte. I've been told that, you know, Brandon Miller is still ahead there, but it's not like 100 percent. And, you know, we have this kind of elephant in the room out there with the ownership situation. You know, like what if, you know, we get some news here in the next few days that something that it's finalized, you know, and then will there be another voice there that wants to have a say in who they draft? And so, you know, that's kind of the unknown with with a week to go. Um, you know, I do think it'll be Mitch Kupchak making the pick and they've done all the work, uh, but um, there's still, you know, there's still some unknowns out there. And and I think Scoot Henderson gave himself a better chance of being the number two pick with what he with what he did this week in Charlotte. The Blazers pick at number three. After moving up a couple of spots in the lottery and obviously what they do to some degree interacts with the future of Damian Lillard. But I I guess I would start with this and either one of you can answer, but Cavoni, this is more in your wheelhouse. I think Um, how, and again, this is smokescreen season. It's very hard at this point to discern the truth from the half truth. How much does Portland care who's there at three and who Charlotte takes? Is there is there room for maneuverability between those two teams? If there's if one team definitely wants player X and the other team definitely wants player Y, how much does Portland care? I haven't asked them that question directly, but I just I don't think it. You know, they're in a great spot because they'll just take you know whoever is left there between Henderson and Miller. So I don't see why they need to you know put assets on the table here to 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 move up because. I think that they really like Brandon Miller and they really like Scoot Henderson and they'll be really excited, you know, for, for either of them to be there. And, you know, contrary to, you know, what people think I'm, 
if the draft were tonight, they're making that pick, you know, unless something crazy comes up, um, you know, some type of trade that you just can't say no to at this stage, they haven't had, you know, anywhere near that level of conversation, you know, to get fair value for, for, for that pick. And, you know, I mean, you very rarely have a chance to get that type of talent like a Brandon Miller or a Scoot Henderson in Portland. And so they're just not going to pass up on that unless, you know, something absolutely incredible comes out of thin air, which, you know, doesn't appear the case right now. Yeah. I think some teams that have players that they're interested in have kind of turned their noses up at the idea of a package of Simons and number three. And I wonder how much of that is at least semi-posturing because I, I asked a lot of people a very simple question yesterday, a lot of people around the league. You know, Normally there's a, a cliff between number one and everything else, and we overvalue draft picks for the most part, although the top five are pretty valuable. I asked, is this number three pick, given that it could be Scoot, could be Brandon Miller, is it more valuable than the average number three pick? And the answer was almost universally yes. On Simons, every team would want Sharp over Simons. The Blazers are keeping Sharp, as far as I know. I have not heard any. They, they, that's an almost, I, I, no one's untouchable, untouchable, but that's pretty damn close. I haven't loved Simons. Like, he's an undersized guard who's a, who has been a very poor defender at both point guard and shooting guard. And he, he's signed for three more years at, at good money. But I also think, like, I think people are underrating Simons a little bit if that's all they see. Like, that guy is a legit, really good pull-up three-point shooter. Like, one of the best in the league, catch-and-shoot and, and pull-ups. He's a really good offensive player. His contract is $24 million next season, 26 the year after, 27 and a half the year after that. Like, that's not a $50 million albatross. That's actually not a terrible contract. Like, I, I think... I'm not saying they're moving that package. I'm not saying I just saying like I think the teams that are turning their nose up at that package are either posturing a little bit or kind of not maybe thinking all the way through. Bobby, does that make any sense? No, I mean it makes it totally sense. I mean, I'm I'm looking at it right now. I mean, it's 18% of the salary cap, which is, you know, certainly well below where some of these where these other numbers are. I think I think for me with Portland is, is that, um, and I've said this all along is, is that, you know, you do something to appease Damian Lillard or do you do something that protects you in the future with three and shade and sharp and kind of go in that direction. And, um, because who's to say a year from now, Damian Lillard says, now I want out. Right. Like, and I think that's the, the balancing act that the trailblazers go have. And I think, you go into the draft and if it's um, Scoot Henderson and he's the best available, you take him and then you figure out, figure it out later. But I do think, yeah, I, I, I do agree with you, Zach, that basically turning your nose up at, you know, three and Anthony Simons, like, you know, he, you know, he's a bucket getter. He can go out and get you points and stuff like that. So, um, but that, for me, Portland, I've got them. That's the team I've got circled as far as where, what direction we go here, and and what's the the, the fallout, right? What's the fallout if they if they stay at three, um, and you know, and take another young player? So I think there's an I the, the general theory of Portland is that you can either use the pick 
like take the young, Henderson, let's say, or Miller. You either take that player, or and taking that player means you have to trade Damian Lillard. You have sent Damian Lillard the signal that yes, you are going to have to play with a lot of young guys, and no, we are not necessarily competing for a title. And those two things are untenable. You either trade the pick and keep Damian Lillard, or use the pick and trade Damian Lillard. Mm. I actually don't think it's that simple, and I think Portland, to Jonathan's point, could try to thread the needle of, no, this prospect is too good. This opportunity is too rare. We moved up in the lottery just to get this opportunity. We tanked another end of the season for the second year just to get this opportunity, and the prospect is actually that good. But we still... Love having Damian Lillard around. He's the greatest blazer of all time. He's had just came off the best season of his career. We can maybe re-sign, probably re-sign Jeremy Grant. Maybe work some other kinds of trades. And, you know, put a pretty good team out there and hope to catch some breaks next year. Like, I, I, I think there is a middle path that I think the Blazers certainly think is accessible to them and would not necessarily alienate Damian Lillard. But, Gavoni, what do, what do you make of that? I think Damian Lillard would be okay with whatever direction they win in, especially making the pick. I mean, he's he's a basketball junkie. He's in there every morning at every pre-draft workout. He studies players around the league. He studies prospects. He studies the salary cap. He, like, he knows trade value. And so, like, I think he understands that, like, there isn't a trade out there right now that makes sense for them from an organization standpoint. And so I think the idea that, they're going to make that pick at number three and Dame is going to storm into the office the next morning and demand the trade. That's completely false. I mean, that's totally overblown. Um, and, and I think he, I think he wants to be important long-term and he also wants to win. And so it's on them to try and do both at the same time, like you said, and you know, there's a pathway there to, to being a lot better next year. You know, Sharp makes another step. Um, and for Simons makes another step. Uh, you know, Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller, whoever it is at three, they make the right signings and, you know, they have the number 23 pick. They make a couple of trades. I mean, I think they're they're right there in contention for making the playoffs. The West is open enough where that's available to them, especially if Lillard has the kind of season that he had this past year. So, yeah, I don't I, I think it's totally overblown. You know, this whole sentiment that uh, he's going to ask out and, you know, he wants him to just trade the pick for, you know, 80 cents on the dollar. Well, Jonathan, he, and he he made a when he did that interview on on Showtime, and he he's just he he knows the land lay to land. I mean, he's as smart as it comes, and he said, "Listen, if I get traded somewhere, like what's to say, like based on everything that team has to give up, I'm walking into a better situation." Like that's the, you know, that's the the beauty of it that he could be going somewhere, and he might be there and be like, "Man, I had a pretty good in Portland." You know, I had a I had a better roster in Portland than what I had in New York or um, you know, or you know, Miami or one of those teams. So that's something to certainly consider there. And I do think Western Conference teams simultaneously view Denver as a juggernaut and also view the rest of the conference as pretty muddled. Like, what's the future of the Warriors? I think they'll probably keep the band together, but we'll talk about them later. What's the future of the Clippers? Like, those dudes don't play. They don't play. So if their representatives walk in Lawrence Frank's office this summer and Trent Redden's office and say, 
Hey, how about the four-year max extension? How does that how does that conversation go? Does does Lawrence Frank have a, a garbage can next to his desk to vomit in uh, uh, on demand? Um, Phoenix people came away from that Denver series, and they were the only team to win more than a game off Denver in the playoffs. But you got this Chris Paul thing floating in the air. I have no idea what to make of these. Like, could they get hardened to Phoenix? That seems like somewhat unrealistic to me. Um, and the depth is what it is. Like, I don't. And by the way, it hasn't gotten tons of attention because he's Kevin Durant and he was incredible in the first round against the Clippers. This is the second year in the playoffs in a row where I thought that in the Denver series and then the Boston series the year before, back when the Brooklyn Nets existed as a basketball team with three superstars, um, the second year in a row that I thought Durant looked kind of uncomfortable when faced with a really big physical team, like that were able to knock him off his spots a little bit and just create a lot of turnovers and make his looks just uncomfortable and difficult. I just don't sense a lot of like, super duper fear of the Suns amid the Western Conference. The Lakers will see it. So anyway, that's that's the Dame the Dame analysis um that I have. That I think we can stop the mock draft there for a second because a lot of the same teams that I think would try to trade for trade for Damian Lillard if he were ever available are this it's the same bucket of teams that I think will try to trade for Bradley Beal. And Woj reported yesterday that the Wizards under Michael Winger uh, and Mark Bartlestein, Bradley Beal's agent, are planning to slash are cooperating on if the trade is the end game, um, let's find a place. And of course, the Wizards have to do that because they inexplicably gave Bradley Beal a no trade clause as part of his contract that pays him $46.7 million next year, 50.2 the next season after that, 53.7, 57.1. Uh, Bradley Beal's last four seasons, 57 games, 60 games, 40 games, 50 games. He has shot from three in those seasons, 35%, 35%, 30%, and 36.5%. In two of those seasons, he did average over 30 points a game because he shot the lights out on twos. Um, it's a big contract. I said probably a year ago, maybe to you, Bobby, on this podcast, that uh, oh, there is a large division among league executives about how to value that contract and the Lillard contract because they're so big and so new. We haven't seen contracts that big. Um, some executives will tell you, yeah, those guys are really good players. Like Bradley Beal's made an all NBA team. They'll get real value for them. Other executives will tell you they should be happy just to get off the contract. Um, Brian Windhorst echoed that yesterday by saying on TV that people are going to end up being surprised by how quote unquote little the wizards get back. I think the truth is somewhere in between. I think they'll get real value for him, but it's obviously not going to be like a blow away package of stuff. I do think he's going to get traded. If you ask me to predict it right now, I think he's going to get traded. This is the most real it's ever been. I'm sure there is part of the Wizards that is saying to themselves, well, this guy loves being here. How many stars do you ever love being here? He's really good. Maybe not a, he, he's not a first or second team All-NBA player. Hasn't made an all-star game. He's made one all-star team since 2019. So he's not like knockout amazing, but he's really good. We have some interesting young players. We own, I think, all but one. Don't they owe one future draft pick somewhere, don't they? Or is, does that they extinguish? They owe it to New York. New York. 
um, what we own a lot of our picks. Maybe there's a universe where we could bring back Kuzma, bring back Porzingis, bring back Beal, make a couple of trades, and hey, we're competitive and Bradley's happy because Bradley wants to win. That seems unlikely to me and unlikely to happen on the timetable that Bradley Beal will accept. So I am going, I'm as of now, June 15th, I'm expecting Bradley Beal to get traded and maybe very soon. Bobby, what is your assessment of the current Bradley Beal situation? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think, you know, certainly with the Porzingis and the Kuzma options coming up, I think it's the 21st for both. And I think, you know, the likelihood is that one opts in, which would be Porzingis, and one opts out, which is Kuzma. And I think the likelihood is that, you know, the appetite to bring Kuzma back in a high number basically would probably set the wheels in motion for Beal to look at this roster and be like, you know, maybe now is the time, right? We we start to get this going here. Um, I looked at it and I went on NBA today on, um, on Wednesday and put up some fake stuff. Um, you know, some were salary dumps, as you mentioned, some executives believe. So what does a salary dump mean? What does, it, does that mean? If James Harden goes elsewhere, would Philly give them Tobias Harris and a future first, right? Like in 2030. Um, that's my, yeah, that's what my, yeah. my, that's my, that's my Michael. I, Winter I, impression. I, I I almost, you know, certainly we talked about the the heat with um with Hero and and Duncan Robinson, and they've got they've got some ones to move in in there. Um, I almost equate, you know, we went through it in Brooklyn in 2012, and Joe Johnson was an older player than Bradley Beal, but you know, we traded you know expiring contracts and a future one, and I think there was a pick swap that actually turned out good for Atlanta because it you know got him like the 15th pick in the draft. That's kind of how I look at it. I think it's going to be hard to kind of check all the boxes as far as draft pick, young player, um, expiring contracts there. So you're almost tr- you're trying to get somewhere um, in the middle here. And I think, listen, we're going to be talking about these new collective bargaining agreement rules for a long time here. If there's a team that can debunk the system, it's probably the Heat, right? That that can kind of infiltrate the second apron and have Adebayo, um, Butler and Beal, and then figure out everything else, it's the Miami Heat. I like the word, use the word infiltrate, like <laughs> like they're like they have an attack plan. I had, I, had a Star, I had a little Star Wars in me when I was saying well, that. It, it made me think of the photo, the famous photo of Andy Ellisberg, their GM and cap guru, blocking the entire Heat roster from entering the Nuggets locker room after Jokic decked Markeith Morris two seasons ago. Remember that photo of like, it's like Andy Ellisberg in st- single-handedly like freaking Viggo Mortensen in Lord of the Rings, single-handedly stopping an offensive. Um, Jonathan, any initial Beal thoughts you want to get before I start going hog wild on trades? Not really. Just, you know, talking to teams, you know, after the news came out, people said, listen, it's just, it's a lot of money and it's very hard to put together a trade. And so it's, it's a complicated situation. And, and people echoed what Bobby said, like they don't necessarily think they're going to get this incredible haul, you know, that um, that we've seen for other, you know, major stars in the past. Oh, they're not going to get an incredible haul on the level. Like, forget the like to Durant, Gobert, whatever comps you want. That's not going to happen. So um, rarely do we get to this stage in a trade. And I just keep coming back to one team. Now, we can go through the other teams and there are a lot of them. The Heat deal just writes itself. It's just, it's too easy. 
by the way they they um, changed the protections on that pick they owe the Thunder, they can now trade three firsts. Not saying they would trade all three, but they can. And you just kind of pick two of Hero, Robinson, Lowry to get to the salary, and you're done. And I and you could you could argue that I think Hero. If I'm Washington, I want Hero in the trade. I, I'm not taking just Lowry and Robinson. If I'm Miami, I might want Hero plus Lowry to be the deal because if I keep Duncan Robinson, maybe I can just sort of finagle this thing where like, okay, now I've got a shooter who reproved himself in the playoffs. I don't have to re-sign Struess as a result because as you said, Bobby, they're over the tax in that scenario with just Butler, Bam, Robinson, Beal, Jovic, Oladipo, who's going to pick up his option, Caleb Martin, Highsmith, who I always just say Haysmith for some reason, Highsmith, and and their pick. They're already over the tax. And so bringing back both Struess and Vincent puts them into the apron, lead apron territory. Bringing back one really gets them there. So that that's that deal just kind of writes itself. And yeah, you're going to kind of be in roster building prison with Beal, Butler, and Bam. Although that's when Bam signing that max that that you know lower max after your rookie skill contract kind of comes back to help you. I just I haven't we can go through the Warriors, the Bucks, the 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 Sixers, the Celtics who I don't really think are going to get into this. Um I think the Kings are a team to watch. Uh the Knicks you were one of your fake trades. I just it just right the Miami one just writes itself. No, you're right. I mean, I think the the Robin the you know swapping um Lowry um in for for Robinson makes sense just biggest on like we're already we're already knee deep in it right now like I would rather have Duncan Robinson than a guy in a veteran minimum like that's the reality for certainly for the following year because he's got a partial in 2024 25 it's it's the cleanest um you know in that in that perspective compared to some of these other ones where you know even like I went through like New York right like and like Let's just say, I, you know, we just given them, as I said, like just expirings and it's not RJ Barrett and stuff like that. But still, even if, if you're the Knicks, man, your salaries are starting to come up there, right? Like eventually you got to, you got to extend quickly and you still have uh, Josh Hart who could become a free agent. Um, it adds, it certainly starts to add up. And I think either it's going to be a team that has already two max guys. And as I said, we'll figure out how to work around this. Or it's got to be a team that's got like, you know, three guys making 20 to 25 million there. And this would be your one, um, your one max guy, like, like, like Houston, for example, based on how all their salary, not saying Beal and Houston, but just saying like, you know, you know, how the salaries are constructed. I actually, you know, New York, New York has, is, is, makes a lot of sense. Just, in terms of Barrett plus salary filler, plus they have all the picks, and obviously they would really negotiate hard over which and how many, and it's not going to be the amount that they offered for Donovan Mitchell. They clearly need another offensive creator off the dribble. That's that's known. And, you know, like, there's Jalen Brunson only has two years before he's a free agent again. Like, you could remake your team. I think they want to keep Jalen Brunson, obviously. Um, who is he? When does he become extension eligible? I'll be after next season? Next, yeah, this would be year two of four, so after next season. Um, that's an interesting conversation for down the line. I just don't know if 
the money is just so big that I don't know if that's I, I like the theory of could we get him for half the price that we would have been given up for Donovan Mitchell and get similar level production for a couple of years and just sort of try to level up another level for a couple of years and then figure it out later if it's not working. I like that. Haven't heard a lot of buzz. Not sure Michael Winger and the new Wiz regime really like Barrett that much. Philly, you mentioned, they got the Harden thing. That's got to resolve itself first. And then, like, it's Tobias Harris and what? Yeah, because if I'm the Sixers, I cannot trade Tyrese Maxey no. for Bradley Beal. I'm so I can't do it. I can't do it. That guy's a big game player. Bradley Beal's had some big games. I thought he was impressive early in his his career in the playoffs. Had some big games against the Hawks and the Celtics in 2017. We just haven't seen him on that stage in quite a while. I so I don't know what the Sixers' path is. The Bucks. Wendy said on TV today the Bucks are in it in the thick of it. I haven't heard it quite to that extreme, but I do think... I, I just don't... Like, you know, you look at Milwaukee, like, I mean, outside, you know, certainly outside of Giannis and outside of, you know, Drew Holiday, like, how are you getting the numbers there, right? Like, that's that's kind of the challenge there, unless it's Chris Middleton, right? Unless Middleton is opting in, and then you're basically putting a package around him and then figuring out what draft... Like, what you know, with a draft pick. It wouldn't surprise me if the Bucks shook things up a little bit this summer. And I don't know what that means. Just wouldn't surprise me. I th- Totally unrelated to this. And t- just complete wild two guys over a beer in the playoffs after a game spitballing a trade. One guy, th- one guy who was at our group pitched a trade that I just haven't stopped thinking about since. since. I think about it like five times every day. Drew Holiday for Carl Anthony Towns straight up. Bobby Marks? I would do that if I was uh, Minnesota. I would do it if I'm I'm Minnesota for sure. I don't think I'm doing it from Milwaukee. Tim Connolly went hard after Drew Holiday in Denver. That trade is the kind of trade that makes both teams sick to their stomach, which which means it's like kind of reasonable. I... Again, this is not a thing that I've heard any tell of of anything like that. I just kind of like it as a concept because I do think Cat. We got to talk about Cat. We got to have to have the Cat sidebar now. I do think Cat in a new place with a clear alpha guy, and I don't necessarily mean personality. I mean like. This guy's just better than you, and you can't debate it, and it's his team, and he runs the team, and you're the new guy. I think he would look incredible in some scenarios like that. I just I saw the Pat Beverly podcast where he said when he hangs up his sneakers, he's going to be regarded as someone who changes the game and reiterated for the 17th time that he's the greatest shooting big man ever. And sometimes... Sometimes I just you just gotta bag it. You just you just gotta pass on the opportunity to talk about how you change the game. And it's not just that the Wolves haven't won a playoff series with Carl Anthony Towns. It's that because they've been a tire fire for a long time. Coaches, GMs, bad trades, bad draft picks, bad signings. It's that Carl Anthony Towns in half his playoff games has just not been good. And now I do think his last three games in this in this first round, long forgotten, his last three games, he he got he scored seventy points, so like twenty three or twenty four a game on twenty four of forty three shooting, 
and was a problem for the Nuggets. I thought he maybe can build off those three games. He did foul out of the last two, which is just an endless problem. I just can – can we just, like, I stop? First, no one's arguing about your shooting ability. No one. You're arguing with ghosts. Second of all, I just – before you start talking about the way you've changed the game, can you A, turn 30, and B, win a playoff series? That's all. That's all I'm asking. I don't have any other thoughts. I like that trade, though. Milwaukee, you're right. They, it, it's complicated. Warriors? What about Golden State? All right, you're about to say, yeah, you're, what about Golden State? So you what's know, the trade? Does Poole, Peyton, and whatever get to get, to get you know, whatever. Kaminga. Kaminga. It's got to be Kaminga. Yeah. If they're getting anybody, it's got to be Kaminga. I mean, they might want two of those guys. They might want Moody, you know, also. Well, good luck with that. Um, It's got to be Kaminga. And it's depressing if I'm a Warriors fan. that I I still believe in Kaminga. I understand that there was a lot of sulking and pouting and the minutes went up and down and, like, that made people there unhappy. I think he's young and good and does stuff on the court that's really hard to find. And I would certainly take a flyer on him for my team. I understand why the Warriors would be like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. The great double track program would end with Gary Payton the second and our other guy is a throw in and the Bradley Beal not a throw in, but part of a Bradley Beal trade. And then Moody, who's a good, nice role player probably that the team trusts. It's not awesome. I also just like Steph plus Beal plus Clay. To me, that's not the fit. To to me the the sal- the salary just it's too it's too big of a salary for me to make that the move if I'm the Warriors that's that's just my take. Any other thoughts on them? No, it's a good point. I mean, you're I mean that's almost like you, the pool piece is you know like is that who you want to use it on? Plus, like that combination of salaries you just mentioned comes like three million dollars short of Beal's salary, which is not you can still make the trade, but that three million for the Warriors that you're adding on is like I think. Nine hundred and twelve like million when yeah. you factor in the repeater penalties. Yeah. Um, uh, Sacramento, Herder, Holmes, and Monk get you to get you to just barely enough salary, and I gotta throw in a pick or something. It's not crazy. Is it crazy? How much does that actually help your team? Putting two shooting guards in it for one both of whom had fantastic years for you, one of whom had a shaky playoffs and the other of whom was pretty awesome in the playoffs. Does that help your team that much? To, uh, what, does that do for, what does that do for Washington? I mean, at some point, they're just going to say, we're just going to wait, you know, like uh, let's wait until the season starts and somebody gets hurt and people start feeling pressure for their jobs. And and that's when you could, you know, get somebody to make a better trade than that. I don't, you know, I just don't understand that. I mean, how many picks are in it, I guess, from Sacramento's side? Well, they owe one still to the Hawks, right, Bobby? Yeah, next year, 2024, protected. Yeah, you're uh, right. Maybe that doesn't do enough for either team. I've just been told, watch out for Sacramento. Vivek is in Monaco. Sorry, Vivek is in Paris no, no, no. today watching Victor win Banyama. What does that mean? <laughs> so Herder, Holmes, and Monk for the number one pick? Is that what you're suggesting? <laughs> Maybe. In- <laughs> instead of Brad Beal? <laughs> I was surprised by that. I was like he must be on vacation or something. He's like, let me just go watch like a really good basketball game. Um, 
what were we talking about? The Kings, Bobby. You wanted to say something about the Kings. No, right? I mean, I think for for what it does for for the Wizards is it you know it, you got a guy on a you know making sixteen million, basically a a third of what Beal makes and Herder, um, and you know it basically just it, I think a lot of it's just about getting that big number off you know off your books here and stuff like that. I mean, the one team that was you know certainly thrown at me yesterday was like, what happens in Toronto? Does he make sense in Toronto? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, like that's, you know, that's the, you know, what, what would it take for you to get to that number with the, you know, with the, with the, uh, with, with the Raptors? I also got that same buzz in Toronto. There's just so many balls in the air for Toronto with Pirtle's free agency, Gary Trent's option, OG and Anobi's extension, Siakam's extension. Like there's just too much Van Vliet's free agency. I can't even keep track of what's going on in Toronto. It's too much. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. So the other subplot of this, and then we'll, I promise we'll get back to the draft, Gaboni. If Porzingis opts in and becomes a $36 million expiring contract, I actually think he'll have pretty good trade value. Because I do think we might see a run on trades that will not be allowed in two years by teams that are over the second apron now and can aggregate salaries now and will not be able to in two years. Uh, By the way, uh, it's June 15th. No CBA still. Teams are starting to get a little impatient with like, can we see the goddamn thing? Is it done? No, just wait. We're almost there. Well, the draft is in a week. Um do any of you have any Porzingis destinations that you like? I thought Indiana, you know, I mean, that's a, you know, just because they've got some buffer and room and they've got some, you know, spare parts. Uh, they do have a, a, a boatload of draft picks, whether it be the, you know, the two, two, two later ones in a, in a, um, in a late, in a late twenties there. And there's certainly a need at the, at the, you know, they can go four or five and I, they might've even addressed that where they're picking there. I thought the Pacers could be a team to, you know, potentially take a flyer on him. I like it. I don't know how he fits with miles Turner, but maybe that's, maybe that's besides the point. Can I give you guys a few? Of course. Yeah. All right. So just assume Toronto's included in all of these and we'll just leave Toronto to the side. The Clippers are going to be that I would if there's another trade that I'm certain is going to happen, it's that the Clippers are going to aggregate two of like the Powell, Batum, Morris, Covington contracts for a player. Porzingis, Porzingis be that 
for to get, get, put some spacing around PG and Kawhi. And, you know, I don't think that necessarily means you're moving on from Zubats, but uh, you have two centers. That's fine. I think that's kind of an interesting fit. Chicago's a wild card to me, depending on what happens with Vucevic. Could, Bobby, is this legal? Could Portland do like Nurkic plus Little plus sign and trade one of Thibel and uh, who the hell's the other free agent? Reddish, uh, Reddish. plus yeah. plus draft compensation for Porzingis. Yeah, you could do that. I mean, you could you could do you know add that up. To, you know, get the the uh, one of those two Reddish or Thibel's number up there to make it work, and then. You just got to figure out the draft compensation because you oh you well actually because you still owe the the bulls that pick from that um was the Larry Nance trade from a few yes. years ago so yes. so you've got to figure out that part of it but they've said Joe Cronin's been out front saying that if hey if there's ever a trade out there we'll you know we'll adjust the compensation um so that's you know that's certainly legal I like that fit a three point shooting center with Dame I thought about the hawk the Hawks and we'll get back to them. Uh, but they have a Kongu kind of as the heir apparent, I think, at center. Boston, eh, some interesting possibilities. My favorite one, and I'm not saying I think it's gonna, even going to ever be discussed, but Cleveland coming off kind of a, you know, like kind of well, bar offense, kind of the bed playoff run, and we don't know if Evan Mobley is ready to play center. We kind of want to take another leap now, and Jared Allen had a disappointing playoffs, and you know, can we pay all four of these guys going forward? Is there a, is there a deal built around like Jared Allen plus salary filler for Porzingis? I kind I kind of like that. You can get there. I mean, you have you know Allen, um, Osman, Dean Wade. You know, like numbers like that. They've got a bunch Dean of these seven million dollars. These seven million dollar guys to get there. Uh, I also thought about New Orleans because they have the Valanciunas and Nance pieces, and you know there's a lot of balls in the air there. That that brings us back to the draft, uh, Mr. Gavoni. There's been a lot of buzz about the Pelicans trying to move up into the top three to get Scoot Henderson. That has lent itself to a lot of buzz about. Wait a second, how are they getting there? Can't be all draft picks. Does that mean the big fellow who's played a hundred games and change in four years could he, could he be made available? What is your latest intel on the Pelicans and their intentions? I've been told New Orleans is not trading Zion, uh, no interest in trading Brandon Ingram. And I, I'd be very surprised if anything ended up happening there um, at two or, or three. Um, you know, they were the number one team in the West last year when Zion went down with the injury. Uh, you know, if he's healthy, which he rarely is, but when he's healthy, he's easily one of the best players in the NBA. So I don't, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't see it happening. And I, I don't even know. Um, yeah, so I, I, I that was pretty much shot down to me, you know, as as a possibility as Zion to to Charlotte or Portland, either one or Portland. I don't. They haven't even spoken with Portland, you know. So, yeah, I don't. I think. Um, yeah, I think New Orleans has made some calls, you know, just to say, hey, what you know, what would it take to get to one? What would it take to get to two? But I don't think it it went. Past, well, what would it, what it take? That. What would it take to get to one is like the Saints. Um, <laughs> <laughs> These are the calls that NBA teams make. You know, just to say, hey, what would it take? You know, not or making you an offer, but Boy, like I would love to be right, on the click, other click, end of that call. Click. No, no, no. I would actually say so. Here's what it would take: the Saints, 
<laughs> the the Vince Lombardi trophy from a few years ago, which is probably not even a few years ago anymore because I'm old. Um, one vintage paper bag from the time when the Saints were the Aints. The Superdome. I don't know. Probably more. Um, that's interesting because I don't. I. I don't know. I don't know what to make of that because Houston was always the team that made the most logical sense of like, what the hell? We've got a lot of assets. Let's trade something for Zion and be relevant and pop pop the market a little bit. But they're only four. Like they they that doesn't get you into scoot range. If scoot's the target, you can do things with four, but I don't think you can get up to three or two. Houston and Detroit are sitting at four and five, and and they're I. That's where like the draft trade it doesn't stop there like there could be movement there but that's where you start hearing the Thompson twins some people have them mocked a little lower than that are they just is the latest that those teams are just going to stay put or is there still like buzz that they could maneuver around a little bit I haven't heard a ton coming out of Detroit or Houston I mean I think the assumption is that both teams want to be good next year and they would explore you know trade scenarios that you know, got them, you know, some veteran pieces that, you know, you know, help them win games next year. But there's not, you know, there's just not a lot of teams around the league who are like looking to offload those type of guys. And you're not just going to give away the number four, number five pick. So it just, it's, it's hard to find, you know, like the right, the right pieces in, in, in a trade is my understanding. Those are very valuable picks. And, and I don't know that teams are offering, you know, really, really good players off the roster for, because nobody wants to take a step back, you know, like Amen Thompson is an incredible talent. Cam Whitmore, super talent, but you're not going to be good, you know, like building your team around Amen Thompson next year. So it's like, what is that? You know, who really wants to take that huge step backwards? There's just, it's a very small list. Uh, there was another, there is a, um, not a man of mystery, but a man of, um, rising and kind of all over the place draft stock that you want to talk about that is currently mocked in your latest mock draft on ESPN.com to the Thunder at number 12, and that's Kobe Bufkin. Tell me about Kobe Bufkin and tell everyone listening what you are hearing about Kobe Bufkin. Yeah, so Kobe Bufkin is a sophomore from Michigan, but he's actually younger than a lot of the freshmen in this draft. He's younger than Jairus Walker, younger than Hood Shafino, uh, he's younger than the Thompson twins and Brandon Miller. Uh, and he finished off the year in a pretty spectacular way. The last 12, 14 games of the season in the Big Ten, when Michigan really finally put the ball in his hands, he did some very, very impressive things. He averaged um, you know, 19 points, five rebounds, three assists per game. He shot the ball extremely well, 47% per, for three in that time. And then you look at the build, he's six foot five and a half. 6'8 wingspan, 187 pounds, and he is just a tenacious, tenacious defender. And people are starting to, you know, as the process has gone around, gone along, you know, he's interviewed extremely well. Um, everybody's looking for that type of guard who is, you know, tough, versatile, not ball dominant, high character, you know, 19 years old, has upside as a shooter and as a ball handler. And it's everybody's tried to get him on their books, bring him in for a workout. And pretty much people have run into a brick wall there. Nobody's really been able to get him in their gym. He had some workouts scheduled, you know, earlier on with 
New Orleans, with Atlanta, with Utah, 14, 15, 16. All of those were canceled. And, you know, even some teams ahead of them have been unable to get him in their gym. So now the thought process is, does Kobe Bufkin have a promise? Did somebody shut him down? Does he know where he's going? Why can nobody get Kobe Bufkin in their gym? The only thing that they've seen of him is this pro day that he had in Los Angeles where, you know, everybody says he was very, very impressive and he really helped the standing. You know, it's a pro day. You take it with a grain of salt, but the buzz out of that pro day was very, very strong. And now you're starting to hear his name at Washington at eight, Utah at nine, Orlando, 11, OKC, 12, strongly in Toronto at 13, And, you know, the question now is, like, where are they trying to maneuver him to? You know, what are the teams in that range that, you know, have a have a big opening in the backcourt? You know, like you look at Washington for sure. Utah, definitely. Um, The Raptors for sure. So um, it'll be that's kind of one of the, you know, the mini storylines that I'll be watching on draft night is where is Kobe Buffin going to end up? Well, in Um, Oklahoma City. Going back from my days in in Brooklyn, man, they have a track record of promising guys. You know, and he's I mean, represented they, by Wasserman and yeah, Jason I mean, Mitch, Rainey, the, his Mitch, agent. You know, was worked in what worked yeah. with okay, OKC, but OKC says we haven't been able to get this guy in our yeah. gym either. We don't have a medical That's on there. You know? like, yeah, I mean, what? Mitch McGarry basically went and he like was for in the sure. witness protection program for a whole month, and then Reggie Jackson was was a guarantee. So, like, yeah, I mean, if 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 the Thunder are in the same boat as everyone else, then you can totally um, you can un- totally understand it from their perspective. Campaign. There- I mean, there's a long line of guys that you know, Pokashevsky that everybody had a promise. Poku. From Oklahoma City, you know, and I so thought about Poku in a couple months. Thanks for bringing Poku back into my life. <laughs> had a couple. Had, I thought Poku was all right last year. I mean, in phases. Um, every time you say Kobe Buffkin, my brain, and this will date me, thinks of the old animatronic teddy bear toy, Teddy Ruxpin. I, every time you say Kobe Buffkin, I think of Teddy Ruxpin for the older listeners. Of yeah. I just, I don't see it being Oklahoma city because they have their starting backcourt in place already. You know, it, 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 Josh Giddy and Shea Gildas Alexander, those guys aren't going anywhere anytime soon. I could see his camp targeting one of these teams with a wide open backcourt where he can go in and his value, you know, if he hits is as a big point guard, you know? And so he's going to need to, you know, have some freedom to make mistakes um, and have opportunity. And the Thunder, you know, very excited roster, but they're pretty stacked right now with young talent. I I didn't research this. It just popped into my head right now. I wonder if either of you guys know off the top of your head, is there a famous example of a broken draft day promise? Oof. Uh, was it was a Richard Lewis maybe or I don't um, I don't want to throw anybody to the bus because that's but, awkward. Uh, there there are definitely there have definitely been times where teams have made promises, not thinking that another guy would be on the board, and then that guy's on the board, and they have a moment of like, "Woof! Well, we made the promise. We got to take the guy we promised. We kind of want the other guy, but we got to take the guy we promised." I, that's, that's the that's danger. The I asked. That's the that's the danger. I mean, we promised. I mean, I'm really going to date back to here. We promised Zoran Planinich, I think, in 2002 or 2003. And man, you put yourself in an awkward position if a trade comes about, or if there's a guy on the board that you love and that's falling all of a sudden falling, and you're staring at him as far as what you do. And I always say is that. You know, you burn the agent, it will come back and get you somewhere down the road. 
Teams are very reluctant to promise guys at any point in a draft. You know, there are, you know, there's, there are a lot of players at the withdrawal deadline who said, Hey, would, would you promise me a two way? Would you promise me you'll take me in the forties? Would you promise me, you know, like an, an undrafted, you know, roster spot and teams are just, they don't want to box them, themselves, themselves in. Like you just don't know who's going to fall there. Uh, you know, what trades are available. And so it's just very hard, you know, that everybody throws around, everybody's got a promise this time of year, but it's very, very rare in, in actuality. There are no backsies is what you're telling me in the NBA promise game. No backsies. Um, a couple other teams. Uh, the next team in line is Orlando. Orlando is number six and number 11, courtesy of the Bulls. And uh, a lot of cap space. And I think finally, um, has reached a stage where they would like to win more basketball games next year. They were a 500 team basically over the last 50 games. So I think their goal is going to be the playoffs next year. Um, six and 11 looks like it gives you a lot of optionality. Like, Oh, they could package it and move up or they could package it for a veteran. It's not quite as powerful a combination as I think it, maybe it looks on paper, but is there any Orlando Orlando is like a black box dating to last year when people didn't know who the number one pick was going to be until it was made. Um, is there any Orlando buzz of any kind? I mean, I, I think that there is a thought that the number 11 pick is is attainable. But at the same time, the, if you look at the tiers of the draft, it's right around 11 that it starts to break down. And so I don't think they're going to do anything before they see before they're actually on the clock and they see who's available to them. You know, you could a guy like Grady Dick from Kansas, you know, six foot seven, you know, probably the best shooter in the draft uh, could very well be there at 11. And, um, you know, so what does it take to get there? I'm, I'm not sure. And, you know, what, what pieces from their roster are available in trades. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, um, we always talk about trades and then there it's going to be a bonanza of trades. And then it very rarely materializes, you know, like, especially in the, in the lottery. I mean, there'll be a lot of trades like the back half of the first round, Every pick in the second round will be traded like 17 times. But in the lottery, I, I don't know how many trades there actually we're going to see. Indiana comes in at seven. They also have 26, 29, and 32. That's that's a lot. I, I've heard teams have called Indiana trying to get seven, but I, I don't think there's been any traction there. And those back-end first-round picks, there are some teams who, like you said, the draft kind of falls off at a le- Wherever you think the draft falls off, right, there are some teams who kind of like those picks more than, like, 15, 16, 17 because the salary's a little cheaper. Um, but that's a lot of picks in one draft. And Indiana, between Halliburton and Turner, when healthy, has, you know, they were right in the thick of the playoff and then play-in race before everybody got injured. Any, any Indiana buzz from either of you? They're going to be, they're going to definitely look to to move some of these picks. I mean, they have five of them. Nobody, nobody wants to roster five rookies, even if, you know, that 55 is probably a two way, even four rookies is just way too much. They have so many young players in their roster. So I could definitely see them, you know, taking 26, 29, 32, calling somebody like the Lakers at 17 and saying, Hey, you know, like, do you want to, I think the Lakers, that could be very interesting for them getting a bunch of cheap contracts you know there's uh, this draft is a lot of depth and um i think it would be the kind of move that maybe happened on the clock but i, I could see that you know uh, uh you know the you know trying to think who are the warriors maybe is another team that you know is in you know salary cap hell there and so uh I, these we saw the the trade with um 
with Denver getting the the, the 37th pick um, from Oklahoma City last week. I mean, um, some of those te- those second round picks are gonna they're gonna have some value on draft night just because of that that new second round exception. It's um it's it's pretty attractive for for teams. What teams are doing too is that they're looking ahead towards two. I know this is like 2028, 2029. Like Oklahoma City, for example. Like eventually you're going to have to pay um, Josh Giddy, right? And eventually you're gonna have to pay you know, um, Jalen Williams down the road. So when you have all these, you know, when you, if you can parlay draft picks now into something four years from now, it just gives you, you know, more, you know, security. I think you could see that with, you know, Orlando, I mean, at 36, for example, which is a good number, you know, they could, you can move that for something, you know, if it's multiple twos in 2028 or, or 2027, because when, um, you know, when Banchero and um, uh, Wagner and, and those guys, when when they're coming off their rookie contracts and those numbers start to be costly. It's a great point. I love that trade for Denver. I loved it. Like, what a statement of, like, we're going to keep whatever we can do with this guy and these two guys and Murray and Jokic, we are going to do. Um, And the Lakers have drafted, Gavoni mentioned the Lakers pick, maybe, you know, looking to pick up multiple bites at the Apple. I mean, that's a team that has drafted really well late in the draft for the last six or seven years. They've gotten a lot of value out of those picks. Um, A couple other addendums that I forgot to say. Uh, Herder, I mentioned Herder and in the Kings and Beal and all that. Herder and Beal have the same agent. So that's an interesting little nugget there. Uh, And I forgot a Porzingis trade. This is maybe too crazy for Earth, but... What about what about Aiton? What about a deal about with Aiton and Porzingis as the principals? That make any sense to anybody? No, I'm get, hearing no. The only the only thing I can like for me with Aiton is like I I want to you know if you're gonna move him you know it, it's almost like I'm breaking it up until two two three players you know and then I've got to worry about resigning Porzingis. That's probably like my biggest or concern. Maybe I, maybe I don't, and that's. Part of the yeah. point, and maybe I have more. Maybe I, have, I go into next offseason with cap space, you know. And I'm I'm using that flexibility to, you know, here's my one big swing with uh, with Booker and Durant to add another marquee guy. All right, I'm going to open the floor to each of you, Jonathan. First, um, pick a team or a prospect that you're dying to talk about uh, from the draft perspective that we have not hit in this podcast. It could be anybody, anything, anything you want. I'm just really curious to see what Golden State does. You know, I mean, you you hear from teams that they they're being pretty aggressive, making calls, seeing what they can get. You know, potentially in the lottery or or, or the mid first. You know, Kaminga's name has been out there since the trade deadline as potentially being available. And then you see some of the the workouts that they're conducting. There, they seem to be targeting older players uh, and telling people that, you know, agents and other teams, like we overloaded our coaching staff with developmental type prospects. The last few years, we're done with that. We want guys that know how to play basketball that can come in and fit our style of play um, that know how to pass, know how to cut, know how to guard off the ball. um, You know, not going to complain about their roles, about their minutes. And so, you know, what they do here, you know, on draft night is going to, is going to kind of set the tone, I think for how their summer looks. And Bobby to you, um, is there from a free agency or trade perspective, 
Is there a team we didn't hit or barely hit that you are really interested in talking about or a player like a free agent to be or a trade target that we didn't hit or barely hit that you're dying to talk about? I mean, I think Houston kind of controls free agency, right? Just because they're the leader in the clubhouse with 60, 62 million dollars. You know, we've said all along. I think if there's a team out there that would give, I mean, my question for 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 them would be, are you willing to commit $47 million to James Harden and only have a sliver left for the rest of your roster? Or do you want to get cute with in free agency and see if you can split that? I mean, it's Harden going to go there for $33, 34000000 million. That's, that's the biggest thing. I think they control free agency because there's kind of like a domino effect. Not certainly there, but certainly what happens with the, with Philadelphia also. Yeah, that's the first pivot point is Harden to me. Because if Harden stays, that means you know, probably kind of stability in Philly. And if Harden leaves, again, I've said, I'm sure Dale Morey has 15 contingency plans lined up. For me, one of those would definitely not be any deal where I'm sending out Maxi for Bradley Beal. I'm just not doing that. Um, Harden, by the way, it's again, it's ancient history. What a weird postseason for him. He either had like incredible games or horrible games and basically nothing in between. And the last two were of the horrible variety. And I just, I don't know, man. If I'm Houston, I, I, I understand. Like Stephen A. Smith outlined this on, the, on his on first take yesterday with um, some force, let's say. I understand all the, the reasons and the forces behind that. I just, from a team building perspective, it's just not, it's not what I would do if I were Houston. All right. Well, Doc, Doc Rivers didn't help. On the Bill Simmons podcast, what do you say? <laughs> oh, he basically I haven't gotten there yet. Him. He basically he buried him. Really? He, he yeah. He as as much as you can bury a guy, he buried him. As far as how it was, he was very asked. You know, Bill asked him if how if he was easy to coach, and he said no because he wanted to play one style and I wanted to coach one style, and they were totally different. What styles were those respectively? Like, so James Harden wants to play the I dribble all the time style, and Doc Rivers wants to play what what style exactly? Throw the ball to Joel style. <laughs> Move the ball. <laughs> there was there's not a lot of ball movement going on um, in Philly's offense, even when it's Embiid uh, who couldn't get the ball for the last five minutes of Game Six in Philadelphia, and then you know then they just didn't show up in Game Seven. All right, anyway, look, it's going to be a busy off season. Bobby Marks must read. All the off-season guides are up. All thirty wow. now. All 30 I think your championship out. off-season guide should just be a picture of Mike Malone I, drinking champagne. I, would, Michael Malone, would, sorry. It, me and my editor would be happy about that. And Jonathan Gavoni, how many more mock drafts are we going to have between now and the draft? At least three, probably. We're going to have one that gets updated pretty much every day, and okay. probably once an hour on the day of the draft. <laughs> Go get a nap in or something. You guys are unbelievable at what you do. Appreciate the time, and I will see you both soon. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.